Welcome to Energy Stew. This is Peter Roth, your host. By the way, I'm if you're seeing the video of this, which will appear someday on YouTube, my face is very pockmarked right now because I'm doing a cleansing uh, that my dermatologist has had me do to clear old skin damage on my face. So anyway, um, <laughs> we will pray. <laughs> Yeah, I look terrible right now, but uh, those of you who are listening to the show rather than seeing it, you don't have to worry about uh, being <laughs> horrified. So, so what I want to ask you all is how powerful are you now? And how powerful can you get? And what does it take to be powerful? What does that mean? So... We're going to continue a conversation with um, a really good friend and author of many books. <laughs> and, um, and her latest book is My Road to Power um, because of her best-selling book, The Road to Power, <laughs> had to come from somewhere. And so to explain how that book arrived, she decided to write my road to power to see what what created this power. <laughs> and so I'm so excited to talk again with Barbara Berger, who um, is actually probably one of the wisest people I know. Um, and I, I would call this book my road to wisdom rather than my road to power because it's it is incredible to read and and her life journey to create power is beautiful to read and we'll talk about that and what it resulted in so barbara welcome <laughs> to energy stew again thank you for having me peter i'm so excited because reading your life story in my road to power says something about accumulating wisdom through hardship. Mm -hmm. You had a, an extremely hard journey where you almost died at one point. Several points, actually. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I say. But I was just uh, recently rereading the part where you we were- We could actually call the book How My Karma Became My Dharma because it's- Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Because in other words, the cards that you are dealt, your karma, how do you play them? And as you so wisely said, the wisdom yeah. that comes as a result. Right. And I would say that my my karma has become my my dharma because my mission, I feel as you do, is to, to spread wisdom, the information that we have been given access to. Um, so that we can help other people and ease suffering on planet Earth, which it sorely needs right now, right? Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. And and it, it's so helpful. I mean, you have a lot of books that we've I've interviewed you for, I think, a lot of them. I mean, you started many decades ago writing books. That's so I'm not familiar with your earliest books. Well, the, we talked about it on the last show that my first book was written in Sweden when I was 20 years old and had fled from <laughs> America. 
and <clears throat> that I became a famous author at that very early age, quite without my knowing anything. So I have been writing books and since I was 20, yes. I know. And and they're they're amazing books because I know the titles of them and how popular they became. Mm -hmm. And then your recent books are, you know, Find and Follow Your Inner Compass, um, The Awakening, the Awakening Human, Human Being, Being. Are oh. You Happy Now? Mm -hmm. And recently Healthy Models for Relationships mm -hmm. and and others. And and so but the titles are one thing. The content is amazing. And, you know, I'm so uh, excited to always talk with you. Um, and and then, you know, it, your research, I mean, not only did you discover what really counts in life, which is how we think and how we choose to think. How we choose to think, that we right. have the power to choose to think. Right. The way we want. And that that's actually my greatest discovery. That's why I have called the, the, the best selling book, The Road to Power, is about the power of the mind, the power of the focus of our attention. That is the great discovery for most people. Most people are just doing and acting. It's a conditioned response. It's they're on automatic. Right. It's the power and of having choice. Yeah, but in other words, to become aware of the nature of consciousness and to understand the way the mind works, that's the key to freedom. And that's the only freedom we actually have, the power of our focus. What we focus our attention on grows in our experience. We, we put energy on what we focus on. But most people, this is they're not controlling this mechanism. But when we aw wake up to the nature of consciousness and mind, we start to realize that we, each one of us, is the choice maker in our consciousness. In other words, we can control what we're going to focus on. In every now moment, we always have a choice. Right, but you're, you're, it's important to know what choices are available. And your road, your book, The Road to Power, is loaded with choices. Mm -hmm. And I, think I would say it's loaded with possibilities of how you can use this information and how you can use the power of your mind. In other words, what you say is choices. Yes, you're right. But we have to understand that we're the choice maker. That's the key, that we actually get to decide. I mean, we're, we're talking about all power. That's the only power we have, and that's all power. Because if you, the higher your frequency is, the higher your focus, again, that's also why it's so important at this time on earth that, that we who understand this try to spread this information as much as we can so people can take their power back and we can improve life on planet earth. Right, but you give people steps for it. And that's mm -hmm. really what's important. Mm -hmm. you know, we can talk about, oh, you can think differently and make different choices <laughs> and they go well which ones are you talking about and mm -hmm. then you elucidate on well, well actually apropos what you're saying i've written a very short book called the mental laws understanding the way the mind works and i'm giving it away as a free ebook so anyone listening in right now can send me an email to info at beamteam.com and we will send them this free ebook and in this little ebook Hundreds and thousands of people have already gotten it from me. And they all say, 
this information is so critical. Most people say to me, Barbara, why aren't we teaching our children this information in school? And I say, I totally agree. And that's why I'm doing this work. And that's why I'm giving it away for free because I want to spread this information. So anyway, this little book about the mental loss, it describes what we're talking about, the nature of mind and consciousness, thoughts arising, and then how we, as the only thinker in our minds, do always have a choice. And how can we use this choice, as you say, more wisely? So this is critical, crucial information. Right. But it's also wonderful to read how you came upon <laughs> all of this. <laughs> well, that's what this book is about. <laughs> My Road to Power. Yes, and, and that's it's so wonderful to read it. It's such an adventure that is mind-boggling. Um, because as we were talking about earlier, uh, you almost died a number of times. And um, I was recently reviewing your journey through Afghanistan, where you were really close <laughs> to death. Close, very close, yes. And, and you were saved, interestingly, um, because of, of your father. Mm -hmm. And it's it was and because you one thing you've learned about relationships is how different they all are. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's an understatement, in fact, isn't it? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, actually, what happened was the short version is my father was a top military man at the Pentagon at the time when I ran away from home with Steve Berger who I got married to, and he was drafted to go to Vietnam, and we fled the United States uh, and went underground. That's the first part of the book, which we've talked about on some of your other shows, all the things we did and how we ended up getting political asylum in Sweden. And then I moved to Denmark, and then later on with a Danish guy, we went east because that was what we did back then. You were a hippie. Yeah, to, to seeking higher consciousness. And we were going to India, and that was that journey is described in, in the book, all the, the things that happened on the way, and we went over land, and we hitchhiked, it took us forever to get there. By the time we got to Afghanistan, I was desperately ill and dying. And Afghanistan is really like the dark ages. It was then, and it certainly is now. But back then, there was no medical aid, there was no doctors, there was no hospitals. And so in desperation, thinking that I was going to die, I, I decided to go to the American embassy and see if I could get help. And the American embassy back then was like outside of Kabul, the city, and it was like out in the desert. It was like this fortress. And I went out there and I <clears throat> they had this huge door and I banged on the door and and. A, a guard opened it and, and I said, I'm an American citizen and I'm sick, I need help. And the guy looked at me and he said, we don't help hippies and closed the door, slammed it shut. <laughs> and, then... <laughs> and then I went back to, to Kabul and uh, I didn't know what to do and I was really scared and desperate. And so I, I actually called my father in the United States, collect. I hadn't spoken to him for many years and briefly told him, that I was afraid that I was dying. I didn't know what to do. And he said, okay, wait 24 hours and then go back to the embassy again. And then he hung up. And so I, I waited 24 hours and then I went back the next day 
And again, I knocked on the door and another guard opened it. And then he said, who are you? And I said, my name. And then he said, oh, please come in. We have been <laughs> expecting you. And then I went in and then I was met by this other person, a, a very official looking man. And he said, well, we don't know who your father is, but we got a top priority telegram from the State Department saying that we should take care of you. And so, <laughs> hallelujah. It was like little America in this compound. They had a hospital and they had cornflakes and they had lovely doctors and I got treated and I had medicine and I stayed there for about five days where they treated me and I was so skinny and they tried to feed me and they gave me lots of penicillin and and then they said well we can't keep you anymore but we highly recommend that you go back to Europe as quick as you can you will never make it if you go on yeah. I was very very undernourished and underweight at that time. So, but anyway, my father saved me out there and I survived. So, I'm still here. <laughs> and then you got back home uh -huh. and restored your health to the amazing capabilities of macrobiotics. <laughs> <laughs> and you and your husband became these authorities on mm -hmm. macrobiotics and you wrote a book about it. I've written several books about macrobiotics. So that was the the thing when we came back to Europe, when we came back to Denmark and Copenhagen, I weighed like a hundred pounds. I mean, it really looked like I had come out of a concentration camp, but I was still sick. I had had pneumonia and I still had it. It, it was not so bad as when I was in Afghanistan, but I, I, I lay in bed for several months and didn't get better. And even though I went to the doctor and got medicine, nothing happened. And then suddenly one day a guy came by and looked at me laying there, a friend of ours, and looked at our little refrigerator that only had like cakes and Coca-Cola. And, and he said, no wonder you're sick. He said, wait a minute. And then he went home and he came back with a book called You Are All Sampaku by George Asawa. And that was, he was the founder of Macrobiotics, a Japanese guy, and read that book. And he said that there was nothing that couldn't be cured by going on a 10-day rice cure. And so we got rice and I said, fuck, man, I got to try this. And so I did the 10-day rice cure where you don't eat anything but brown rice and you drink as a bunch of green tea. That's all you can eat and drink for 10 days. And by the fifth day, you feel absolutely like you're just going to die and you puke and everything. But then suddenly <laughs> I started getting better. And after 10 days, I was well. I mean, I was really well. Amazing. And so it was like a miracle. Right. And but so it was, what's interesting it was, is that you, you then went on to become experts at it. But the thing, the thing about it was that not only was it a lifesaver for me, but if you go back, when you read my book, you will see that all this uh, uh, counterculture, rebellion against, you know, that all the things that we had been protesting against for many years. And it was like we had come also to the point like, OK, now we've protested, but what kind of a society, what kind of a lifestyle do we suggest to replace what we've been protesting again. And macrobiotics offered uh, uh, a viable picture of living more in harmony with nature, uh, eating food that 
you know, where you respected the earth. So it wasn't just for your own personal health. It was all also more of a social thing, too. Right. So so we studied it for many years and I learned macrobiotic cooking. I've written several cookbooks about it. But then it, it happened again. It wasn't that we wanted to be the leaders of this movement, but people who knew us, they started asking, you know, like, what are you guys doing? And so then I wrote another book called Eat Brown Rice and Make Revolution, which became uh -huh. sort of a, a underground cult classic in Scandinavia, where I presented the the, the transition from the counterculture, the drug culture, to this more healthy lifestyle. And so then people, after I wrote that book, they they started coming over saying, you know, well, Barbara, how do you make brown rice? How do you make miso soup? So I, I would show them in my little kitchen. And then there was more and more people who kept asking me to. So I said to two, why don't we do one day a week? Then the people who want to come, I can cook for all of them at the same time instead of having to do little by little. So that sort of started by itself. I started doing cooking classes. And then all these people who came to the cooking classes, then they said, um, but how does it taste? We want to eat it now. So then I said, okay, well, we'll make it, we'll make food and you can taste this miso soup and the rice and the vegetables. And so then we had in our little apartment, we called it Last Chance Cafe. We we had like every week, once a week, like 50 people came and sat on the floor and, and we served them all this food. So it just sort of grew by itself. And then there were so many people we couldn't be in that little apartment. So we got a place and then somebody financed a big center. So we ended up having a huge place in the in the center of Copenhagen with a store and teaching room and restaurant. And Well, tell us why you're not still doing that. <laughs> well, the main reason is <clears throat> that at some really important point in the journey, I started to notice we had so many desperately ill people coming to us because we were like the first who were offering alternative medicine, you could say, healthy living. We had lots of cancer patients that came to us who had been told that there was nothing more that the doctors could do and they were going to all die. And so we gave them their dietary sheets and then we did the acupuncture and siatso and all the things. And then I started to notice in this group of people who were all doomed to death, half of them about, they survived and got better and they got cured completely. And the other half, they did die. And I started to think, okay, but it's the same diagnosis and it's the same food we're giving them and we're giving them the same program. What is the difference? I used to call it the X factor. What is the difference between these two groups of people? And then I started to realize it had something to do with the, the mind, with their attitude, with their thinking. So that was sort of where I started to get on that track, that there was more to healing than just the physical body, food, diet, and so on. At the same time, I don't know, you've, you've read the book, so you know the story. I had a breakdown myself. I collapsed from exhaustion, from all this work and having three children and eating such a limited diet and teaching and cooking. And, and so I was myself out of, out of the, 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 the limelight for a couple of years. So in that period, 
I started to study more and more about what new evidence was coming out about cures that were based on changing your attitude instead of changing just your diet. So that was really the big turning point for me. So yes. Right. And and then you received a download. <laughs> yes. What's that about? <laughs> Well, the book, it's really an interesting story. Um, my, my international bestseller, that's this one, The Road to Power, Fast Food for the Soul. Right. Um, I wasn't planning on writing it. Uh, it came to me when I was, that some years later when I had gotten divorced and I was a single mother, three children, and I had a business trying to make money to survive with that. And I was very stressed. And then I took off for a couple of weeks one summer and decided that I was going to go every day to the woods and to the beaches on my own and sit in the silence and meditate. So I did that for three weeks. And on the very, very last day of that three-week break, I was, it was, the sun was going down, and I was sitting on a beach north of Copenhagen. Nobody was there except me. And then suddenly, it really was that I got knocked on the head. And a voice said to me, Barbara, you're going to write a book, so take out a pencil and paper. And, it, and I mean, it was just so loud and clear. So I took out a pencil and paper. And then the, the voice said, the book is going to be called The Road to Power. And then I wrote that down. And then it said chapter one. And it said that the name of chapter one and chapter one is going to be about. And then chapter two and the title of chapter two and what that was going to, it just dictated the whole thing to me. And I wrote it all down. And then the voice said, now go home and write it. <laughs> and I did. It was very easy to write. It was like, it just sort of was channeled to me. I didn't, it was the easiest book of all to write. But then the interesting thing that happened after that was, I was already a famous author by that. I had many books published and nobody would publish this book. It was like, and my, the, la the last publisher I had before this one, they act, the, the editor at that time wrote back and said she didn't like it. And it, that the book, and it was like a criticism. It, it was fast food for the soul. And then I thought, brilliant. I <laughs> love that because that is true. So that's why the book got a subtitle called the Road to Power, Fast Food for the Soul. But then I and, decided, and it became a, a bestseller because I decided to publish it myself. I figured if the universe came to me with this powerful message, there must have been a reason. And therefore, I would invest my last penny in publishing a thousand copies. That's what I did. And when it came out, that's another long story, but this, I had a a woman who I had helped her heal because of this, and she was a very famous journalist and author. She wrote a huge article in the Sunday section of the biggest newspaper in Scandinavia about the book. And so right away, wow. and then all the other, I mean, today it is published in 30 languages. It's so it's everywhere in the world. And I hear from people, Japan, Korea, Greece, Saudi Arabia, all these countries, people who say, that this book has changed their life. So yeah. thank you, University. So there are two books to, to get, or at least two books. You have yes. more. But but The Road to Power is 
what we're talking about that mm -hmm. it was downloaded and then you wrote uh, comfortably because you had universal help. And then you wrote my road to power to describe <laughs> how you got there. And I think they're, they're in tandem that people should definitely read both books. <laughs> well, people can get the books on beamteam.com. They are everywhere available. So you're most welcome to order your book. And they're also available as ebooks. So if you just want to have them quick, you can get them quick. Yeah, because the road to power, you know, just I I interviewed you about it some years ago, but just reviewing it recently, I was fascinated by how much is in it, how much and and the research that you do and and the knowledge that you've accumulated, uh, not just because of your life experiences, but also because you are somebody who wants to learn from every which way you can. Mm -hmm. And so there's so much in it that it's fascinating. And I'm, I feel so honored to know you because I really Thank you. <laughs> believe that you you are someone who's, you know, <laughs> had your journey to get to the wisdom place that you're at. Mm. And that's well, it's, really, it's really interesting because as far as I can see, um, you know, like in Buddhist philosophy, they say that every person, the level of consciousness you have when you leave the physical body, that's where you begin your next incarnation. And I feel my personal experience has been, I was born into a very ordinary middle-class American family. And I had some knowledge or information from the very beginning that there was nothing in my environment that in any way could have taught me. Right. And so so I feel that that this work that I have done is part of my soul's journey in this incarnation. That's what the universe wanted me to do. Because it's always been like that. I haven't tried to do these things. I haven't said, oh, I want to write a book or I want to write a bestseller. But this information that keeps coming to me in different forms, yeah. I, I always have felt that it's my duty ch to, to channel it on to whoever. To share it. Yeah. yeah. And so it's it's been a jo the joy and the pleasure of my life to do this. I love that. <laughs> you know, it's so exciting to talk with you about this because uh, the road to power is different from for all of us. And, and you know, people should not want to emulate you because you came close to death so many times. <laughs> <laughs> but we all have different ways of challenging ourselves. And and coming well, to actually, that's one yeah. of the one of the, the the messages that came through in this book is that, and as I write in the beginning, whatever chapter each chapter is a, is its own is a standalone piece of advice of the way you can use the power of the mind. And I say to the readers, and that's reflecting what you're saying, that take the chapters that speak to you, because the, the book is so many different things you can do, so many different techniques, but there are some that will speak directly to your soul, to your heart. Those are the ones for you. Right. And I think everybody feels that they're on a difficult journey. And so <laughs> the way to empower yourself with it. Mm. So that's great. Barbara Berger, I love talking with you. <laughs> and thanks so much for 
being a guest on Energy Stew. Thank you for having me, Peter. Blessings to you. And Beam Team, info at beamteam.com. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. And this is Peter Roth, your host of Energy Stew at prn.live. I can be reached at Peter at heartriver, H-E-A-R-T, river.org. I'd love to hear from you. And thanks so much for listening.